0: The concept of slavery is not one that we want to spend a lot of time dwelling upon. We prefer to think of ourselves as being free, living in the land of the free, being able to make our own choices, living with some of those consequences, failing to realize that sometimes we don't live with some of the consequences. We live with all of the consequences of decisions that we make here both in the physical realm as well as in the spiritual realm. We looked this morning in the book of Acts in chapter 2, discussed a little bit about the proclamation of the gospel and that first gospel sermon of Peter and the rest of the apostles to those that were in Jerusalem at the time, telling them the will of God. And what God had done and what God had planned from the foundation of the world for the redemption of mankind. As the book of Acts closes out, we have Paul going to Rome, another continent, another nation. One of a little different persuasion and a little different background than would be in Judea or in the surrounding area of what we would now call Asia Minor, where many of the early churches were located. He would go as a prisoner. He would be granted some freedom as he was in Rome until the trial would come up, able to have his own house, but basically under house arrest. And using that to his advantage, simply saying again, sometimes the life of those who want to serve God And the physical aspect of things do not always go as one would like them to be. It is said that Paul would be a house prisoner and he would have two Roman soldiers attached to him on either side with chains. And that would be the case. Later on it is mentioned that the whole Praetorian Guard had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've often stated, you put yourself as a Roman soldier with the understanding that somewhere in your time frame you're going to be attached to one arm or the other of Paul. And you already know from those who have preceded you what Paul is going to do. He's going to be talking to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a Roman soldier inclined to want to do things that would be contrary to the will of God, Now, many times would you want to serve your tour of duty with him? And as is oftentimes, even in the case of nowadays in the military, you encourage somebody for one reason or another, through one favor or another, take my place and serve my time with him. And Paul simply says, doesn't matter. Got to preach to the whole praetorium guard. Don't know how successful that was, but we knew we do know that out of Caesar's household, there were some who had become children of God. More than likely they were servants. They were slaves. It matters not their background or where they came from. Again, they may have been well educated, but they were slaves. They were treated as slaves. Their job was to serve the master, and they would find a way to be able to serve the master along with being able to serve God as well. But it is dependent upon whose slave are you? Who are you going to live or give allegiance to? Who are you going to obey? You can do it freely, or you can do it as being forced to do it, as many times slaves were. But how can one serve God under objection. I'm here because I have to be here. If I had my choice, I would be somewhere else. How could one who would claim to be this child of God even want to consider that aspect? But the book of Romans is a tremendous book to read through. It has a lot of great teachings in it. But again, as Paul would talk about being a slave or a servant of either sin or of righteousness leading to salvation, the choice is yours. He lays out the foundation for that as he begins the book of Romans and as he goes on through, reminding us again of creation, reminding us of how God had planned redemption, how he had executed it, how he had left his footprint, if you will, his fingerprints in society, but also in Creation within itself. Reminding us in Romans 1, verse 20, and following that man is without excuse. Creation tells you that there is a God. And we live in a society that was just as real to us as the society was to them of their day. And there were those who would acknowledge that God was a creator and that they lived in his creation. And there'd be those who would be objecting to that and would not acknowledge that as there are today. <coughs> and try to find some way to either work around it or to deny it and to want to say we're free to do our own thing. We like the freedom. We do not like the concept, again, of being a slave or a servant. And again, as Paul uses that term to the Romans, there is that clear understanding and definition of, of what Paul excuse me, what Paul meant by being a servant or being a slave either of Christ or of sin we make the choice we live in a world where those who are enslaved to sin find it extremely difficult to want to leave that way of life and find that as they strive to live to leave it that its power seems to entice them to come back. Would not the opposite be true as well? If you are a slave of God, would it or should it not be hard or difficult for you to want to leave that slavery? You may be enticed to leave it, but then you want to Go back, or we ought to want to go back to be under that power of God once again. When you see what we have, again, as Paul writes down in, in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1, that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God. The power of God unto salvation. The power of God unto salvation to all who would believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He's not ashamed of that. And we ought not to be either. It's the only hope that mankind has of the freedom from sin. Chapter 1, again, Paul would tell the Romans why the Gentiles have no excuse. Creation tells you that there is. It goes into chapter 2 and tells the Jews why they have no excuse. They had the oracles of God. They had God's word that they had read every Sabbath day and yet did not want to follow it. Then he'd have to remind the Jews in chapter 3 as well. He says, you are without excuse, 2 and 3. Remind us then in verse 23 of Romans 3 that we all know, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Those who had the law, those who did not have the law. Nature tells you that there is a right and a wrong. Man has not yet figured out why that's true. Society of those who are opposed to wanting to acknowledge God have a rough time trying to decide where did we get the sense of right and wrong? We may disagree on what's right and what's wrong, but we under have an understanding that there is right and there is wrong. Where did that come from? Paul says, God put it there. It's in man. The a man to know what's right and what's wrong. He may not do it, but he knows that what he does is right or what he does is wrong. The conscience bears witness to that. And then we're reminded that the conscience is or can be taught and corrected. And we need to have the right guide within our lives to do the things that would be indeed pleasing to God along the way. Shall we continue in sin? God forbid that we'd even want to think along that line as we get into chapter 6. Why? Because we've died to sin. Shall we continue in sin? That grace could, could abound. God forbid that we would think along that line. We have died to sin. There is a power there, but we've died to that power. That power is great. It is alluring. Otherwise, we would not be inclined to want to go that way. There is a temptation, there is a desire. But it's not long-lasting. The world knows that that's true. The world knows that we do not have absolute freedom within our world. The society in which we live understands that. And the decisions that we reach oftentimes have far-reaching consequences along the way. We hear periodically in our society today, particularly usually following the weekend or during the weekend, and they do it during the weekdays as well, usually is in the early morning hours. We have individuals who are under the influence of sin who believe they are free to do as they want to do, and every once in a while you will find them going northbound in the southbound lane of traffic. And they end up taking lives of innocent people. There are consequences for making decisions. And we need to understand their consequences for making right decisions. How many times have we been enticed or encouraged or reminded to do what is right? Because we knew what it would do to those that we loved around us particularly as children, and we find out that we are children of God. There are some things we didn't didn't do because we knew what our parents would do when they found out what we did. So we're enticed, we're encouraged, but the choice is always there. God gave us that freedom. We're still going to be a slave. We like the freedom, but we like to choose, but we need to understand consequences that go along along the way. We've died to sin when we were buried with Christ in baptism. The old man of sin was put to death and buried in that watery grave. And we were raised to walk a new life. And in that new life, again, we're simply considered as babes in Christ. And as babes in Christ, we need to be taught. We need to learn. We have a knowledge of who God is when we're being baptized. But then it's a learning process of how much we learn and how deep that love goes within our heart of what we understand. As we read again the scriptures, they're written to encourage us. Draw close to God. He'll draw close to you. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. He'll come back at an opportune time, but he will leave you. So you can resist him, but it's up to you. The way you resist him is by drawing close to God. Drawn close to his word. Hide in his word in your heart. How many times do the scriptures remind us of that? Old Testament and New Testament. Hide the word deep in your heart, in your mind. Plant it there to encourage you to do the things that were right so that you not go astray. We're to be raised to walk in a new life. Like a newborn babe as they learn to walk. It takes them a while to learn to walk. They toddle along, they fall. Sometimes they feel that they can travel quicker on for, uh, crawling along until finally they figure it out. You know, if they get up and walk, they can go a lot farther, a lot faster. But how do they learn all of that? That's one of those amazing things in watching in the, in the physical realm of how a baby learns. How does a young child learn? One is by watching and imitating. One is by reading and growing. And all are involved in making these decisions. You learn along the way. We live in the world, and I won't go into all those details, but we live in a world for some of us that are a lot older, is that, you know, if I misbehaved at school, mom and dad heard about it, Not only was there a whipping at school, there was a whipping when you got home. You quickly learned. It's a learning process. And sometimes we may have done it just just to do that. I won't say anybody I know who did that, but uh, it didn't matter what was going to come, you're going to do it anyway. But I'm simply saying that's all part of what we get to learn. It's deciding. You deciding whose slave are you going to be? If you're going to let the world influence you, you need to decide whose slave you're going to be. If you're going to let the world be your master, if you're going to let sin be your guide, you need to understand the consequences of that decision. And if you're going to let God be your guide, if you're going to let God be your master, you need to understand the consequences of that decision. And you get to make it. As the child of God or those who are learning about God, you begin to quickly learn. You get to choose. One is a horrible taskmaster. There's one who promises but never delivers. Whatever it is that Satan promises, he cannot deliver on. Again, let's look around in the world. You see that all the time. You hear all the good promises that are made concerning a particular product, and then five years later you you hear all the wrong about that product, and you're entitled to substantial reimbursement because uh, you took that product and you took them at their word, and they were wrong in what they had to say. God's not wrong. What he promises, he delivers. And that's one of the things, excuse me, that's one of the things that we get to remind ourselves of. God is never wrong in what he says, and he's never wrong in the promises that he makes to those that are his children. Romans 8 28, as you get over there in Romans. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and to those who are called according to his purpose. One is understanding each of the words that is given in that text. Second is understanding what God means by that and then applying that to your life. Everything works for good. Everything, every evil that you see in the world is a reminder to you as a child of God. I do not need that. I do not want that. It works for good. Oftentimes it's that evil that causes one to turn around and say, I'm tired of this. I'm going a different way of life. All things work to, together for good. For get, work together. I want it work together in the lifetime that I have. I want it working for what I perceive as good, and I want it to work for my benefit. And that's not what God promised. Everything works together for good to those who love the Lord. I have to have a love for God. I have to believe He is. He's the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. The reward that he gives may not be the reward that I'm looking for. You have the scriptures to show you that. Paul's in a Roman prison. He's facing physical death, and we'll experience that later on. How did that work together for good? He was able to talk to those in Caesar's household. He was able to talk to the, purport, the Praetorium Guard. He was able to spread the gospel while he had the opportunity in situations situation that he would not have had that opportunity As a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to Caesar and to appear before the judgment seat of Caesar. That would give him an opportunity as a child of God to talk to Caesar about Christ. He did it to King Agrippa, he did it to Felix. He's he's used those opportunities that on the surface appeared to be bad and used them for the glory of God. All things work together for good. May not be in this lifetime. A lot of things that you may suffer physically in this lifetime, be it illness, be it whatever it is, loss of jobs or health, whatever else goes along the way, works together for good. The loss of loved ones. Those are all reminders to us that everything we have here, regardless of what it is, is only temporary. There's an end to it. This place or this earth was not intended to be the permanent dwelling place of the children of God. Heaven is. Heaven's the home, not this earth. This earth is going to perish, going to be burned up. All the elements are going to be melt with intense heat. This isn't home. Things that happen in life remind you of that, of that fact. This isn't it. We lose loved ones. It works together for good. it reminds you, be careful about how comfortable you get in this world. Remind yourself. You're just passing through. Remind yourself, how long has God been working? Before the foundation of the world, how long is He going to work? Well, until He brings this world to an end, then there's going to be the glory of heaven. How much time is that? And I want everything worked out within <clears throat> however many years you want to place, put into that number. I want it worked out in 25 years. I really do not want to wait 25 years. I prefer to be worked out in five years. And I've got trouble with five years. I like it worked out a little bit sooner than that. Is that how we think? How is it working for my good? Am I able to draw closer to God as a result of what I'm going through? Does that encourage me to change my perspective? Does that remind me as I think I'm in good physical health of how quickly that can change and be in a different situation? Does it work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called? For what? For your enjoyment? For your benefit? Work together for good to those who are called according to what? His purpose. God has a purpose. He's got a purpose for you. We need to find out what it is. You don't know. How many people from the first century on down, how many people have been influenced as a result of this? How many there lost their lives in making this possible in the first century, in the second century, down through the future generations? How many people believe that having this and that you having the right to have this in your hand was worth dying for? How will we benefit from those who have preceded us? And how many are we going to influence in our time frame how many have been encouraged how many have been challenged how many have been strengthened how many have been redirected in the right way because of grandparents those that are already gone but their lives have touched your lives and your lives are touching some other lives and their lives are going to touch some other lives it all works together for good I rather be a slave of a godly righteous individual who has nothing but my best interest at heart that I be able to live to live here to die the physical death and to be raised a spiritual being to be in the house of the Lord forever that I would to serve or be a slave of Satan for the pleasures of sin for a season with the reward of eternal damnation in hell Either one you want to read about you can and need to heaven hell If hell was only one-tenth as bad as the Bible describes, I'd want no part of it. But again, it's not one-tenth as bad as the Bible describes. It's a thousand times worse than the Bible could ever describe. If heaven if heaven was only one-tenth as good as it is described, I would want it with the depths of my heart. But it's not just one-tenth as good. It's a thousand times better. There is no way to describe either heaven or hell. And then I'm reminded, whose slave am I? You choose. You think. And you respond. It's up to you. God in his love and his mercy grants us time, grants us opportunity, for us to make changes in our life is up to us to whether we will accept that or not. That opportunity is given this evening. It's given at any time that we live. If we're not where we ought to be, to be able to make that change. That's what a loving God will do. You repent. He forgives. He restores. He blesses. The choice is yours. God wants you to be with Him. He's given you the guidelines. He's given you instructions. He's given you the love. given you the motivation. If your life needs to change this evening, if we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we do bid you to come as together we stand and sing.